This is Bach to Bach, the podcast opening up the world of classical music, one beer at a time. And on today's episode, we are entering the Matrix. Welcome back to episode 62. Where we both have colds. Yeah, by, by we, we mean uh, me, Matty Oates, and... Me, Kevin Oates. That's we. We are the Oates Brothers, and uh, and it's that time of year. We're in December, and... Just and sick. Yeah. Just sick. But you know what helps with that? Beer. Beer helps with that. Beer helps and with that. Right now, we're sipping on Prime by the, uh, the delicious Good Fire Brewing here in Portland, Maine. But we're going to get back to that a bit later on. Today, we're... Today is a departure, not only for our podcast, but also just from traditional, classical, and Western music. Um, we're going to be diving into what's called 12-tone music. We mentioned this two weeks back and kind of explaining a little bit about what it is, but want to kind of give everybody the background behind 12-tone music. So in basic your basic musical scale, you have the notes, seven different letters of notes, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then repeats back to A. And in between those, there are notes that are sharp and flat. So you have A sharp, B, B sharp, C, uh, with the same thing. And then you go all the way through G sharp. And then it repeats back to A. So there are actually 12 total notes um, in, in musical scale. And then those are then applied to keys. And so like we've heard about songs that are in the key of C major. And in Western music, what we hear composed in mainland Europe and in America, we basically focus on that is to be following certain chords and keys. Certain chords go to one another and they kind of just, they work well. And there's kind of, there's these systems put in place to make it sound tonal and something that we enjoy listening to. So that is your basic foundation for how we've listened to music to date. I'm going to throw all of that away (laughs) and now ignore any of that. And then, so here's where 12 tone comes into play. So there are those 12 different tones uh, in in what's called a chromatic scale, where we hear all of them. 12 tone music, they're, the way so it works. It's just like chromatic would be like, instead of being do, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, be, do, 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 do. Yeah, it's every little note yeah, in yeah. between. And so um, 12 tone works is where it's that you have to use all 12 of those notes. It does not matter what one you start on what one you end on, you have to use all 12 before you can repeat that 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 phrase again. So Ooh. however you draw that melody line um, using all 12, which is not typical, that's where you, it gets weird sounding. But you, so basically it's called a tone row. So you basically you can go A, E, C sharp, B, G sharp, A flat. Oh, that's the same thing. Never mind. But... Um, <laughs> You, you create this melody line out of all 12 and then you can move on and reuse it and reshape it. Then on top of that, you can take that tone row you wrote, its initial theme, and you can play with it in different ways. You can do what's called an inversion, which is the flip of it. Uh, and then the retrograde, which is where you flip it backwards. I, that it just is my favorite. Um, I think because of the name. It, it's just, it's a, it's, there's all these different iterations and all these mathematical things that go into twelve tone music or serialism with an S. So not like C-R. with Cap- not like Captain Crunch. Not like Captain Crunch. Right. No, he'd make a great composer. Who would? 
Um, so let's take that genre. <clears throat> Gotta love being sick. And <laughs> what a day. And then on top of that, so now this was 1923 that really Arnold Schoenberg kind of quote unquote invented. There was a, a Austrian composer named Hauer who kind of developed the, the technique for it. But it was Schoenberg who's actually made it the formal 12 tone technique. How, how different were they in years? As far, or how far apart? Howard came up with the the theory, the law of it in in 1919, uh, but it was Schoenberg who actually formalized the technique for music in 1923. 19, nice. So in the scheme, I'm going to kind of you know fast track this a little bit. In the scheme of 12 tone music, there's really three major composers that were that established it. You have Schoenberg, who was traditionalist, very strict, just what the law of the technique said. He made it it's just his own thing. Followed that. Then you have Weber, who was more extreme, um, gets even weirder, more out there sounding. It's just not tonal whatsoever. There's no real foundation to what you're listening to. And today's piece is going to go to the other extreme, which is Alban Berg. Um, and Berg was was a 12-tone serial composer, but he still leaned into tonal practices thing let you feel a foundation to the music there was like there was a sense of grounding when you listen to it all it right. wasn't just all the way out there so he was a little more um liberal with his with his style of composing yeah and this piece he uh he born 1884 and died in 1935 so sorry 1885 died in 1935 so he was 50 when he died he died in december of that year he finished this violin concerto in in August of that year. Ooh, okay. Um, so he, he never got to hear it performed. So, Aww. so he finished it That's August eleventh, nineteen thirty-five. Um, it was written for uh, a violinist uh, who asked to commission it, and then it was only performed in early nineteen thirty-six. Right. Okay. So this Berg Violin Concerto, this was, is not traditional in the sense of normal concerto we've listened to or talked about in the past. Has three movements. Right. This only has two. This has, and within each movement, there's two big sections. And we're only listening to the first movement of this today. Any human on earth can play the first four notes. That's right. We, we, of, we, we teased this. We teased this, yeah. So the first four, it's just the open strings of the violin from lowest to highest and then right back down. And then it gets much harder from there. But hey, anybody can play the first anybody four notes play. of the bear by Lincoln Cheerto. So what to listen for in this is the initial tone row, that initial melody of the 12 chromatic tones. Um, you'll hear it starting from the orchestra and then reflected in the violin solo, and then it's built upon. So keep listening for that opening line throughout the piece, and it's passed around the orchestra and used in different iterations. Maybe it's that retrograde where it's backwards. Maybe it's that inversion I mentioned where it's upside down. So try to keep listening for that and how it's used throughout this 11-minute this movement. And uh, when we come back, we are going to keep talking about that good fire prime. It is delicious. Straight up delicious.
I feel like that's one that I'm gonna have to go back and listen to a few more times. Yeah, now. I think it takes a few listens. Um, and also I wanted to add something one more. It's um, it was subtitled "To the Memory of an Angel," which was in dedication to the son of uh, Alma Mahler, Gustav Mahler's ex-wife. Oh, um, and uh, and because he passed away when he was working on the, the piece previous to writing this. So, um, and for those who don't remember Mahler, uh, we, we've done episodes on his symphonies, symphonies one and two. two yep. Uh, the Titan and the Resurrection, yep. which you can go back and listen to. Shameless plug for older episodes. Go listen. We need friends. Well, we got good fire brewing. We don't necessarily need friends. We have good fire brewing. And I mean, we're neither of us are doctors, but we but we play them on podcasts. Um, and I'm not saying it's helping the cold right now, but it's certainly making it a little bit easier. I don't know because I can't drink it, but like let me tell you. But prior to going gluten free, I will say, Good Fire Brewing caught my eye for two reasons. Uh, one, can artwork was phenomenal. Yeah, always. All their beers have most incredible can artwork. Yeah. But two, probably the best IPA I've ever had. Yeah. Uh, yes. I. I, I that I very much stand by it, which is the one we're drinking today. And I remember, I vividly remember the day you came home with some of their beer, and you said, "This is from Good Fire," and I said, "Oh, where are they?" And you describe the place. And if you know Portland and you know the Portland beer scene, they are tucked up right behind uh, where Lone Pine Brewing began. Yeah. And, and they're still there. You kept describing. Yeah, they're still there. But you kept describing the space. And I kept saying, no, 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 that's where Lone Pine is. And of course, and we did a, a throwback episode last week to yep. our Pines of Rome by Respighi, which is still one that that was one of my favorite episodes of all time. It was fun getting to sit down with those guys because they're just the best. But right behind that, up on the hill, right behind in the same same building, is is the home of Good Fire Brewing Company, which has done some incredible growth these past couple of years. Yeah, and they 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 kicked off when they opened a few years back. They they were kicking off with two IPAs on tap. People came in, and I think those blew people away. Uh, and since then, they've they've expanded across the spectrum of beer, so they're just as diverse as anybody else in town right now. Their can art's still out of this world, but today we're taking one of their. Um, their first two brews. This was actually the first beer that they ever canned, and it's called away. Prime. Um, and the can art's very simple but very beautiful. It's got this lovely teal color, almost the same color as the building in which that they are mm, housed yep. right now. If you guys know Anderson Street down in Portland, Maine, there is um, there's a there's a, a large uh, two maybe three story building. It is that are just covered with uh, each section's a, a very bright pastel color, and it's just. Oh, it just looks great against the hill. Mm-hmm. So, but on this label, it's got the name Prime, and then beneath it, it's got rows and rows of numbers, and it's 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 uh, it kicks off with one point six one eight zero three three nine, and goes on for rows and rows from there. And if anybody recognizes that number one point six one eight, da 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 da, a lot of us know it as the golden ratio. I did not know that off the top of my head. I will be honest. That's good. No, I, I'm actually kind of glad you didn't because that, you know, you can only fit so much knowledge in that head. And you got tons of music knowledge up there. Lots of heritage. Okay. So why does, why does the golden number ring a bell with us? It's, it's used in mathematics, geometry, uh, in life, theology, uh, philosophy, uh, discussing the universe, applied in uh, art, in design, uh, in financial markets. Euclid wrote about it. We had a contemporary of Da Vinci using it. Da Vinci using it in his a lot of his anatomy studies. Uh, Johann Kepler, the astronomer, around 1600, was using it. And of course, if anyone's a Dan Brown fan, you recognize it from the Da Vinci Code. He used it heavily in that. Hey oh, oh, so shout out to a bit of modern 
uh, bit of modern literature there. Okay, side note. People who call that the greatest work of literature, don't get me wrong, it is a page turner. Are all the plots the same? Yes, it's always the trusted confidant who betrays them in the end. Spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't read Dan Brown books, but they're all the same. But are they page turners? Yes, they're enjoyable. But if you call them the greatest works of literature, go read other books. There are so many others out there. Go read. Um, Tangent number one complete. Yes, sorry, that just... Dan Brown, if you're listening... He's not. He's not, yeah. Why do I even try? So... Uh, Prime was one of the first beer they ever brewed. It's not. It's a. It's a Citra India Pale Ale. We got so it's six point five percent ABV, um, and it it is just. Some people have reviewed it as finishing a bit too dry. I don't see it. Maybe they perfected the recipe since these mm. people wrote that. But personally, it's this lovely hazy golden dream of an IPA. So really light malt. Um, but let's the let's the the citron was uh, amarillo hops really pop to the front, and I think it's got a nice soft finish to it, and I think it showcases the skills of of and the the, the thoughtfulness of of David Redding, who is the 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 founder and owner of of Good Fire. So David's actually a doctor in nephrology, mm. uh, which if you're not up on your uh, studies of medicine, nephrology is the 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 uh, study of the internal medicine of the kidney. Ooh, which exciting. which when you think about how kidneys and beer work together, it's probably good that the person making <laughs> your true, beer yeah. knows how the kidney works because because yes. of that. And that that's its own entirely separate podcast topic right there. Uh, but uh, while you keep talking, I'm going to think of that podcast name. <laughs> so so you've got a scientist uh, and, and, and a doctor behind this this uh, this brewery. And although you guys have to come to Maine to check out Good Fire Brewing, if you are coming up for a beer tour, even if you're not, it is one to put near the top, if not at the top of your list. There are so many others out here. I know that if you're a tourist, it almost is overwhelming when you come to this town going, where do I? I've got two days or I've got three days and I can't spend every waking moment drinking beer, although I do, I, some do try. Yes. Um, this is one Find good fire. It's kind of tucked away, but worth every moment you spend there. And if you are doing, <coughs> excuse me, if you are doing a trip to Maine and like want to kind of get the bang for your buck for the most breweries to explore in, in one area with, with restaurants around it, I would say the Lower Bay side where where Good Fire is based is probably your best bet because you do have uh, a kabuchery, you have a distillery, you have multiple breweries, you have food, and they always have food trucks outside. Yeah, there's always stuff to do. It's a beautiful area. It's really up and coming, and it's no joke. You can walk to all of these within five minutes. Yep, they got Mister Tuna there, who makes insane. Which they uh, Good Fire did an awesome collaboration beer with Mister Tuna, and then, um, but also you know they had the Rebel Cheesesteaks truck outside, which is yep. so good. Yeah, he's, um, he's really cool. So last there's year. there's always a good community around each other, and that's one thing that it's so funny how here are two breweries that are connected like next door to each other and both are thriving. And it's the same thing that happened on industrial way when yep. Bissell brothers was out there along with foundation and Austin street the and Allagash Gagan brothers. And Gagan, um, but they are all in that one area, but yet they all still support one another and build that community, which is still something that's really impressive with the main beer scene. Yeah. Definitely one of the hallmarks of what goes on around here. Everybody helps everybody else out when it comes to these moves. In fact, I think it was our interview with uh, the Lone Pine guys that were saying that they, 
Oh yeah, when they moved in, they had you know everybody the, from Rising Tide and all that come help them when they needed it. Yeah, moving. They all still the and then this is you know this is two years ago at the point, but they were still borrowing stuff from other breweries because they were out and they needed it sooner, and other breweries stepped up, and it's an awesome, awesome business to be in. It really is, and these guys aren't only doing a lot of good just here in Portland, but part of a, a larger nationwide movement as well. I don't know if folks were keeping their eyes on the beer scene around July of last in 2018. But there was a, a project called the People Power Beer Project. So it was launched on the 4th of July, uh, run uh, kind of quarterbacked by three uh, Threes Brewing out of New York. But they got 65 breweries around the nation to hop on uh, to create a beer to sign, uh, that was called the People Power. And so 10% of the proceeds uh, went to the ACLU People Power Campaign, which, awesome. was just, which impacts voter mobilization. Uh, and it was their platform for grassroots actions. So... Uh, the one representative in Maine was Goodfire. They Heck hopped yeah. on that. So what's also neat about that was same beer, uh, different different can designs. Um, and it was just neat to have sixty five different beers around the nation, um, all just different. You know, influenced by different uh, brewmasters, different designers, and yet all going towards the same thing. So uh, when you're in Portland next, you can't get it outside the state, but when you're here, check them out. And, and we'll let you know next week whether they also fix colds. And speaking of next week, uh, it's our Christmas episode. Yeah. Which is crazy because that just came up so yeah. fast. Holy yes, cow. It did. Um, so we are actually doing, I don't know how we've not done this today, but we will be talking about Handel's Messiah, which is done, performed every Christmas uh, throughout the world. Um, it's one of the most, the Alleluia Chorus is one of the most known classical pieces ever, ever written. And so we will be diving into the Alleluia Chorus itself, but also other parts of the Messiah Mass um, and Handel as a composer. I'm I'm incredibly excited for this one. I'll, I'll, we'll probably end up standing during the time when the whole yeah, a cool background around that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but thank you for listening. Go listen to re-listen to the Berg by Lincoln Cheerto. Get dive into that more. Go follow Good Fire Brewing. Go stop by their tasting room and support this local brewery because it is phenomenal beer and phenomenal can art and phenomenal people. So until next time, this has been another episode of Bach to Bach. Cheers. Cheers. Be sure to follow Bach to Bach on Spotify and Stitcher to get notified of our latest episodes. And keep the conversation going on Instagram with us and follow us on all social media platforms at Bach to Bach. That's B-A-C-H-T-O-B-O-C-K. Cheers and keep listening.